0: Fake outrage. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work appears, of course, at HoustonChronicle.com and ExpressNews.com. Jeremy, it has been quite a week. We had the legislature start, we had the president in Texas, um, we have all of this news. We'll cram it all in into a very short um, – I have sort of a, a lecture I want to give about some things. So I think this edition of the show might go for three or four hours. Is everybody <laughs> here on staff ready for that? All the, all the all the shaking heads. Nobody wants to do that. How are you, sir?
1: Oh, my gosh. So much activity so quickly in the new year. You know, you're just thinking like, oh, we'll kind of ease into this. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, here comes the no. president. Here's the opening day session. You know, here's some news, 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 you know.
0: Oh yeah, it's just the it's the pace of the news cycle. Um, it, so many things happen that you could forget that the president was here last weekend, right? So we'll get yep. to that in just a little bit. Uh, but first, what did people come here for? This is what you came for. The legislature is now in session. And it could be a really nasty session or it could be one that's kind of even keel. Jeremy, I'm not sure yet. Let's examine the evidence. All right. Let's let's take let's take this uh you know one piece of evidence at a time. There was all that noise the sound and fury the anger over quote unquote democrat chairs in the texas house for some reason it doesn't matter that there is one in the senate as well but we'll we'll focus on the house at first Uh, the republican party of texas um, they had an ill-timed rally which was the day after the decision was made on democratic chairs and i'll get to that in just a second Um, but there are grassroots conservatives people i would describe as astroturf conservatives who are so angry with the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, because he has continued the Texas tradition of power sharing in the legislature. Power sharing simply means that the majority party shares power with the minority party. There are Democratic chairmen in the House, but there are more Republican chairmen in the House because, of course, the GOP runs things around here. And I asked the question again. In 2021, in Phelan's original uh, you know, his maiden voyage as speaker, what was it that conservatives did not get from the legislature? I can't think of anything. Really. In fact, I saw some people uh, outside the Capitol this week who were wearing their shirts that said no Democrat chairs, the the red shirts, white lettering that read no Democrat chairs. And I walked up to them and I said, hey, what's the deal with these Democrat chairs? And and these folks said, well, what do you think about that? I said, no, no, I don't have the shirt on. You have the shirt on. Tell me what's up with the Democratic chairs. And they said, well, they're not letting us get conservative stuff done. And I said, well, what conservative stuff? And Jeremy, I had to help them with what the things are because they couldn't think of anything. I I said, well, what about I said, well, what about uh, all that genital mutilation going on? And they kind of looked at me like, yes, that. And I said, I said, well, what about all them transgenders in Texas? And they said, yes, that too. And whatever I said, they would get more excited. These were some lovely people from Ellis County. I just didn't think they were the most informed people ever. Um, The speaker uh, under fire for this from these, quote unquote, grassroots folks. And how many people ended up voting against him? For Speaker, how many members of the House voted no on him and yes to Tony Tinderholt from Arlington? Three, right? Yeah, exactly. So there was no, no groundswell in the House for this. Uh, and again, this is a majority Republican body. So after his decisive victory and reelection as Speaker, Dave Phelan told the members to keep in mind, this is Austin, not Washington.
2: For the newcomers here, our freshman class of 2023, Congratulations words of caution please do not confuse this body with the one in washington dc after watching congress attempt to function last week i cannot imagine why some want texas to be like dc
0: as for the priorities he laid out those include property tax reform health care access criminal justice reform reining in the quote District attorneys who have gone rogue, uh, unquote, uh, infrastructure, safer schools, economic growth, health coverage for new moms. Jeremy, that isn't the red meat buffet that I remember from 2021. Is this a little bit different tone from the speaker in his sophomore uh, journey, uh, you know, leading the House?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm starting to wonder if it'll feel a little bit more like 2019, where it was like it became more of a, you know, taxes, money, education, you know, kind of that more focused. It just seems like in like in the other years, we've been dealing with more bathroom bills and, you know, immigration reforms and, you know, you know, there'll there'll still be border stuff, obviously. But it's like it it just seems like we're in that cycle now where this might kind of look a little bit more like 2019, where it's just like, okay, we got everything we wanted the last time around uh now what do we ask for you know it's like there's just not a lot left to ask for i keep wondering like what is the conservative push when the conservative push has gotten to like democratic chairs you mean like what democratic chairs who like let all that stuff through anyhow you know it's like have you met these democratic chairs it's not (laughs) like you know you know harold dutton's like that's it nope nothing's coming through it's like they'll negotiate they work things out so things get onto the floor still
0: yeah. So some of that stuff seems like a sideshow. For example, Chris Salcedo is a former co-worker of mine. Uh, we worked together at CBS in Dallas at uh, KRLD Radio and KTVT Television. Uh, he is now on Newsmax. You can tell our careers took different paths and you can hear him talk about the Democrat chair menace in uh, in Austin. He can't believe that, uh, that this is happening. Th- this is why I'm saying fake outrage. Listen to just how offended he's trying to sound, Uh, it's actually pretty glorious. Take a listen.
2: As you all know, Democrats abandoned Texas in that last legislative session because those Democrats opposed voting integrity measures. Now, two years later, Texas House Republican leadership, in defiance of GOP voters, will give Democrats the power to kill conservative legislative priorities by putting Democrats in charge of legislative committees in a House allegedly controlled by Republicans.
0: He is like a Tucker Carlson starter set. Um, So here you have uh, Chris Salcedo, who is really good at reading a script. He was um, he was a weatherman. In San Diego years ago. Uh, He was good at that. He looks good on TV. Um, He was a news anchor in Dallas. And at some point he decided to be part of what I would call just conservative media, right? He wanted to be uh, on Newsmax. He wanted to have a a radio show. And he has done that uh, there in Dallas, Fort Worth. And congratulations to him. But when he and I used to do radio together, um, Chris would have a real hard time if things went off script. So I'll give you an example. It was 2009, I believe. He and other quote unquote conservatives were saying that the Texas budget was, you know, filled with liberal pork spending, that the the lawmakers in Austin had just gone nuts with spending too much money. And he and I were on the radio in Dallas and I asked him, I said, Chris, well, tell me, I'm not even really arguing with you. I mean, maybe it is, you know, filled with pork, but can you tell me what you're talking about? What would you cut out of the budget? And he didn't have an answer. He didn't know and this, is, this was at a time when I had two highly successful uh, radio shows in Dallas. One was in the afternoon, one was in the evening. And Chris was there as my guest. And I said, Chris, I'll tell you what, and we were, we were on the afternoon show just after two o'clock in the Mighty Metroplex. And I said, Chris, why don't you think about what it is you would cut out of the Texas budget and you can come back on the evening show after seven o'clock and you can tell us all what you're talking about. And he said, okay, went back to his office and He apparently did not think about that at all. He came back on the evening show at seven and he read a statement again. He's always on script. He either I think someone had to help him with it. Uh, He read this statement that I'm trying to remember exactly what it said, but this was essentially it. He said, look, my mistake was accepting the premise of your question. It's not on me to figure out what they should cut out of the budget. That's on the lawmakers, the people who took the time and spent the money and campaign to be elected. They should have to come up with what ought to be cut out of the budget. And I said, Chris, you're just not serious. So, So Chris has gotten even better in the meantime at writing his scripts. If you thought he was done talking about the menace of Democrat chairs, listen to the rest of this.
2: Texas House Republicans will give the party of Joe Biden Who is guilty of illegally taking classified information, the party that voted to let innocent babies die if they survive botched abortions, the party that supports communist China and who abandons their voters, the GOP in Texas and the Texas House will give that party unearned power.
0: So much in the way of theatrics around this. You know, as uh, those who were challenging Phelan uh, were, uh, you know, really disappointed about him winning they they were still cheering on their heroes right so brian slayton is one of their heroes he was one of those who supported tony tinderholt for speaker listen to the activists in the crowd you know in the texas house in the gallery just cheering for these three guys who stood against the speaker kind of impressive now i mentioned that you had uh salcedo on script Very powerful voice there. Um, You know what didn't go to script was the Republican Party of Texas rally outside the Capitol. Uh, There's a representative um, named Richard Hayes. He's a freshman. And he said that, look, hey, and this is he's talking to the crowd who are there uh, hating on Phelan and and hating Phelan for having Democratic chairs. Hayes says, look, I, I don't want there to be Democratic chairs, but I think the speaker is doing a pretty good job.
3: Dave Phelan is an excellent speaker. That may not be popular with you, but I'm going to tell you, he is excellent. I voted for him, and I'm going to tell you he's excellent. The other members in the House are excellent. So I think what we learned from this is that we have to pre-meet the meeting. We need to figure out what is going to happen. What do we want to happen? What do we think other people want to happen? And then come up with contingencies to deal with that. So it was the first big day. Um, We were in the fight. We got out fault. And so I'm going to take some personal responsibility for that, and I think the other members uh, should take some personal responsibility for that. You. And I want to tell you this, there were probably uh, we would have had about 30 votes to ban Democrat chairs. That's my read of the uh, of the House.
0: In other words, there is nowhere close to the support uh, you know, uh, of this to be able to get rid of Democratic chairs in the Texas House of Representatives. And I've made a few points about this this week, both at quorumreport.com and uh, on social media as well, Jeremy. Uh, and I've said a version of this on the show, too. Republicans don't power share with democrats in texas because they're being nice to them and they don't put them and they don't put them in positions uh to shut down conservative legislation that is just i mean the the evidence on that is in and that is just a false claim right i mean if you you watch the 2021 session of the legislature though everything was on um everything was was basically fast-tracked as far as conservative legislation it was all happening baby and in in fact when certain legislation failed in the House, and I'm talking about the ban on critical race theory, um, and it it failed in the House. The Senate just did it again, and completely bent their. You might remember this. They completely bent their rules in ways that I had never seen before to go ahead and pass it. So there was no slowing down any conservative legislation or anything like that. Um, but it's not that they're being nice to Democrats. It's this. It's that in Texas, the way we're set up, you know. Because of our foundational documents, the Texas Constitution requires so many votes that are two-thirds votes to pass things. It's not like Washington where you can just do a simple majority on everything. If Republicans had 100 votes in the House and they had uh, 21 votes in the Senate, then they could just do anything that they wanted to, but they don't. And so they have to have buy-in from Democrats to do big things they want to do, including property tax reform. So the way I had said it to uh, some folks this week is, look, if you deny Democratic chairs uh, you know, the opportunity to be there and have a seat at the table, if you just say, hey, Democrats, you're not in this conversation, well, then you're going to deny Texans property tax reform, which of course is a priority of one of the most conservative leaders in this state, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I was going to bring that point up, too, because you end up with this like anything you do on property taxes becomes a constitutional amendment. You know, so, you know, that homestead exemption that, you know, get jacked up. That was because Democrats went along with that, but they have the ability to shoot those things down. In fact, you know, there's that's going to be a debate in this, you know, how what kind of. You know, tax relief that they're going to be. It's just not going to be. You know, homesteads for you know property owners, right? It's like you're going to end up in a situation where the Democrats are going to be at a fight for. Well, if we give you this, what are you giving us for everybody else? Make sure everybody else gets that. Yeah, tax break too. So there's a you know there's a natural need for Republicans to get Democrats to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, get these votes out. You know, get these constitutional amendments out to the pop. You know, the populace. And so, like, you're going to see that over and over again. And so, you know, yeah. And like you mentioned, it's like you know two thirds. It's like you need a hundred Republicans to get elected to the you know Texas House of Representatives if you want to cut Democrats out completely. We're not there. It's like, you know, what we're at 86, I think. It's like so we got a long way to go to get there. You know, it's like, you know, in fact, it's been going the other way, you know, by and large for the last like five to six years. So if anything, it doesn't look like this state wants to steamroll Democrats Mm -hmm. uh, on these issues.
0: Right. And uh, look, the way that redistricting was done in the last legislative sessions, um, it was done in a way that did not really expand that much the number of Republicans in either right. chamber. And the reason for that is the rapidly changing populations of the state, especially in places like Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, the suburbs around Austin and uh, San Antonio as well, and the uh, the suburban parts of Tarrant County, uh, also uh, back up in, in North Texas. Um, those those communities are changing so rapidly, so fast that I know that Republicans are already thinking about um, the fact that they've got to deliver in some bipartisan ways uh, on things like property tax reform, because guess what? Voters in both March and November care about how much their property tax bill is.
1: Yeah. And, and remember, like, you know, these guys, you know, these sessions yeah, because we, you know, you know, for the new listeners, the Texas legislature only meets once every two years. It's Thank like God. so you don't have a lot of runway to prove to voters why you should get reelected the next time. This is it. Like you better do something here before your next election or say you want to run for governor or, you know, for some other statewide office. And, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years down the road, it's like you have two sessions to prove your medal. In All of this, you know, so so like you got to get up and going fast. And so like the, the, the window is so short and, and tight on these things. So, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure for, you know, a lot of these Republicans to make the noise on the chairs, you know, because they want to make sure they don't get primaried, Right. You know, so yep. they're going to say all the right words. But, you know, they know they're not getting rid of them. You know, they're just playing the show you know, for the talk radio crowds to go, yeah, yeah, he's with us and, you know, down with Dade Phelan, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay. And then they all go vote for Dade Phelan. It's like, what is that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what kind of theater yes.
0: are, are we watching? It, mm-hmm. Well, it's the kind of theater where no matter what happens later in the session, uh, certain folks will be able to play things either way, no matter how it, no matter how it you know goes at the legislature, the way they play it in campaigns will be different. Does Lieutenant Governor Patrick seem a little subdued to you these days compared to some years past uh, and we'll get to his uh, most recent appearance on fox news in just a little bit uh, but but when he talks about the business of the state i don't see a big list from him of you know red meat things that he wants to do just yet he normally he would have told us what those are by now remember uh, this same time two years ago uh, he was going to war with mark cuban over the Mavericks not, uh, you know, yep. have, doing the national anthem at the beginning of the games, which wasn't even an issue because as soon as it as soon as it was called out that they weren't doing it, um, the NBA said actually you have to do that, and so Cuban said okay, and Patrick said that they still needed to pass a piece of legislation on it because it was anti American. We had to get this done. Um, he's talking about things that I think are. You know whether you agree with them or not are more serious conversations. For example, he wants to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to boost pay for police in small towns and counties. And here he is talking to Jason Whiteley at WFAA up in DFW.
4: We have sheriffs out there making in the thirty thousand dollars range that have four Sheriff, elected sheriffs. Elected sheriffs. We have we have, we have deputies making in the twenties or low thirties, uh, where they're covering five seven hundred square miles with one guy, one guy, um, and so and they don't and they don't have you know if you arrest someone in the panhandle and they've got some mental health issue that you arrest you have to drive all the way to wichita falls well that deputy's gone all that drive all that drive back you lose that person so these are connected so we have always said that the local counties every county is responsible your county here dallas county where we do this show is responsible to pay the sheriff the jail and and the deputies out on the street but in these these small rural counties 254 counties depending on how you define it, about 235 would be considered rural. You know, most of our population is about 20 counties and they don't have the tax base. They don't have the commercial business. Some of them do,
0: but, but most, of the, most of them don't, to afford to do that. I wanna give Patrick some credit here, which might surprise people. And believe me, I'll be critical of him in just a little bit. Um, I think that what he's thinking about is legacy politics. I think when he's talking about – and you've you've noticed, Jeremy, he's put a big emphasis on doing things for rural Texas. During his campaign, he did that bus tour across rural Texas and people kind of laughed about how it looked. And they were not wrong to laugh at it because a lot of times it looked really silly. Um, But we saw Patrick talk about uh, mental health investments in rural Texas, law enforcement investments in rural Texas. The Republican Party in this state is – as the state changes – and becomes more urban. Remember, during his uh, during his press conference a few weeks ago, back in December, Patrick talked about rural Texas being really at the heart of who we are. Well, I, you know, as someone who grew up in rural Texas in Wharton County, which almost nobody listening knows where that is, even those who are in Houston. And it's not that far from Houston. But the point is this. We're not that rural anymore, based on the numbers, right? Based on numbers, this is more of an urban state now, right? Yeah. It, um, uh, Rick Perry is probably the last rural governor we'll ever have. That's my guess, right? I mean, it may not, it may be that someone who is originally from rural Texas can do it, but Abbott is from, I mean, he, you know, he he'll say he's from Wichita Falls, but he's from Houston, yeah, right? Abbott is from Houston. Patrick is from Houston. I'm giving yeah. him. I, somebody's going to e- email me or tweet at me and say he's from Maryland. I get it, but he. He lives well, in Houston. It, he's, it, he's a it, Houstonian oh, now. Yeah. Well, and and Abbott's, a
1: Duncan, what, Abbott's a Duncanville kid, so you know, they, I, you know you'll get some right. heat from you know DFW right. guys. So he's from uh, Dallas he's County. Houston, so whatever. He's yeah.
0: from right. He's from Dallas County, right? So that's what they'll say, right? But he spent time in Wichita Falls. Whatever. We're we're, we're all more complicated than just saying where you're born is where you're from. So exactly. I have that debate with you people all the time, right? Maya's nodding her head, yes, because she and I have had that discussion. So 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 look, I think in a lot of ways, Patrick's thinking about legacy. For not just for himself, but for Republicans. He's trying to set up the Republican Party in the future to be able to say to rural Texans, this is what we have done for you, right? Because there is a lot of discussion about and we, you covered a lot of this during the campaign, Jeremy. About Beto O'Rourke going around and trying to make his appeals to rural Texas that, that that went over like a lead balloon for the most part. But at some point, those those voters who live in the small towns and you know the the um, the sparsely populated counties uh, around the state, at some point. Those places that the Republicans rely on as their backstop to continue to win statewide elections in the state, at some point, those people are going to say, "What have y'all done for us lately?" Yeah, you know, at some point that that hasn't happened yet, but at some point they will, right? And so Patrick wants Republicans ready to be able to have an answer.
1: Well, and it's it's really interesting to me what Patrick and you know feeling have kind of left out of the the big picture you know so so okay we know there's like you know you you've probably seen the headlines that we have 33 billion you know extra dollars uh to you know from this last budget cycle going to it but it's more than that it's a lot it's like that $33 billion, oh, yeah. add another $100 billion plus to that because this upcoming budget is going to have well over $100 million extra to spend than in this previous budget cycle. They have $130 billion to spend on anything they can even think of. That has never happened in the state of Texas. We've never had that big of a hunk of money just to spend on anything. It's transformational like if they right. had an idea of what they wanted to do. They you know, if somebody wanted to come out they could say we're going to completely change the you know, face of healthcare mm-hmm. and, or or schools or or law enforcement. They could really commit a massive amount. They could give that 13 you know, billion dollars to property taxes and they still have a hundred plus million dollars to spend on anything they can dream of. And none right. of them are talking about it. So mm-hmm. they're keeping that expectation low. They're not telling the Texas population that we are swimming in more money than ever before. And we can finally fix, say, the foster care system. Yeah. Right. We're gonna put like so much money into it, it's gonna be the number one best run, you know, in any state in the nation. And we're mm-hmm. gonna make sure these kids always have a place to stay. It's like they could say that. They could make that yeah. charge. But everybody is kind of going, what do we want to use this for? I'm like we right. could we could really make, build a lot of stuff with our faces on it. If yeah, we do right. this well,
0: right. Leaders who have just not articulated a vision for the future of the state in the past near decade that they've been in office. If if they had, and I say a version of this often lately, if they had articulated a vision for the state, then when all this money uh, you know, just comes down the pike from Washington and in the form of tax collections when you get this big windfall if they had said what they were for all along you would know already what they were going to spend it on yeah but they but they haven't right you would know it would be the same as in your house you've all, you and your spouse have always dreamed of getting you know this or that and you get a big windfall then you go get it right you yep. uh, for 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 Abbott and Patrick if they had articulated their vision then this windfall would be what they would use To cap it, you know, to cap the bit and say, "Hey, look, here's what we're doing. We we are going we're going to be able to do everything we ever wanted to do," but instead, we're having the discussion that you're that you're talking about, which is, "Gosh, I don't even know what these guys are really for." So yeah, especially if they
1: want to, if they're going to talk about legacy stuff, this is the you know, no, you know, governor and you know, lieutenant governor has ever had this ability before with this kind of money. You could like. You know, decide that, you know, we're gonna make sure like the grid is like, you know, off the chart. It's like we're gonna make sure we're putting <laughs> so much money into we're gonna have more transmission lines coming from the rural areas to get those solar and you know, wind, you know, powers back onto mm. the grid faster, get more of it going. You know, it's like there's so much they could do, but they're just kind of keeping it quiet. It's like it's this weird game in politics, really like they don't really want us to know that they have more money than we've ever imagined before in a budget cycle. And they could really transform. Again, you know, I think the right. foster care system is, a you know, anything with children and families, you could really remake it completely if you wanted to.
0: Right. Also on WFAA, uh, Victoria Niave Corrado, who is the chair of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, which is, by the way, one of our friends would want me to say this. It's the oldest and largest caucus of its kind in America, was essentially asked whether the session is going to be nasty. Here's her answer.
3: I think every session is going to have some debate on a variety of issues just by virtue of the districts that we represent. You know, sometimes they're rural versus urban debates, sometimes, you know, Republican versus Democrat. But in general, we the important thing for us is to roll up our sleeves and to find common ground where we can. Um, For certainly the the budget surplus is gonna be a big priority, making sure that those dollars are being invested in places that make sense for our Texas economy, that makes sense for Texas families, and that helps alleviate property taxes as well. That's a big concern for um, our community and homeowners a rising property tax rates. So we wanna make sure that all of the funding that is being um, allocated is allocated appropriately, equitably, and that uh, families are going to be benefiting from this economic surplus.
0: After the nastiness of the last legislative session, Jeremy, I've been interested to see uh, both Chair Niave Criado as well as the chair of the House Democratic Caucus, Trey Martinez-Fisher, who has been known you know, for at least about 20 years as sort of a fighter and a brawler. Both of them have tried to sound a bipartisan tone. Right. That, that it, they're not going straight back to what we saw in 2021, where it was in some ways a middle finger to the Republican leadership. And instead, they're talking a lot about the budget surplus that you were talking about and saying, look, hey, there are billions of reasons why we should be able to work together with Republicans to get positive things done. And there is a lot of bipartisan support for some of the leadership's priorities. Another example would be the Democratic mayor of Houston. Sylvester Turner, who, of course, is a former member of the legislature for many decades. Uh, and he gave props to Speaker Phelan's push for expansion of health coverage for new mothers.
3: I want to applaud Speaker Phelan for his commitment to offer 12 months of Medicaid coverage for new mothers. Representative Tony Rose, the only mental health professional serving in the Texas legislature, has offered this legislation that leads to last year's increased coverage. But we all agree We must go further to make an impact on our maternal mortality crisis.
0: Whichever issue we're talking about, Jeremy, it's going to take some time to figure out exactly what's going to happen with this legislative session. And here's what I mean. Um, The speaker this week announced that the request – and this is inside baseball, but it gives you an indication. um, The the members of the House all basically get a little – card that they can write down and request which committees they would like to be on. And the speaker will consider that in what committees he assigns them to. Um, He said that those were going out to the members this week. And then he said they were not due back to his office until January the 26th. Okay. So this month will be over when lawmakers will have been required to ask for their committee assignments. I remember one Republican years ago uh, who had been sort of on the outs with leadership. He he said that when he was – this was uh, I think in the 2014 uh, campaign cycle and he was talking about the 2015 legislative session. He said, you know, when I get my request card, I'm just going to write appropriations five times. I said, good good luck. Um, and by the way, he did not get on anything good that, that year. Uh, but he is a chairman now. I'm leaving out his name for a reason. Anyway, the, uh, <laughs> the members won't have asked for their committees until then. It could be the middle and, you know, I don't make predictions, but it could be Valentine's Day, like the middle of February yeah. before we know which committees they're going to be on. And it'll be around that same time that Governor Abbott will probably give his State of the State address. Yep. Uh, next, next week, uh, there will be the inauguration speeches, which it's a lot of flowery language. It's all it's all poetry until they actually do anything um, in the State of the State address the governor, this governor has typically, and this is not always the case with all governors, by the way, uh, but this governor has typically announced what his quote unquote emergency items are for the legislative session. And anytime we use the term emergency items, That's what it's called in the Constitution is his emergency items. He can designate things that the legislature can address. Um, The word emergency can be a little confusing to people because it's not really an emergency. It just means that the governor is exercising his power to allow lawmakers to go on and pass legislation about the topics that he designates. By law, by the Texas Constitution, unless he does that, in the first two months of the session, they can't pass bills on anything, right? So that, that's what makes the governor more powerful at the beginning of the session. The speaker and the lieutenant governor rise in power during the middle of the session because they're controlling the flow of legislation. They're assigning committees and sending bills to committees, and you know they're, they're, they're the ones presiding over floor debates and everything. And then at the end of the session, the governor rises in power again because then he can start talking about what bills he's going to veto in exchange for what else. Right. He he might say the the governor might say, you know, I don't I'm not I don't necessarily hate that bill that has to do with property taxes, but I'll veto it if you don't change it in this way or that way. Right. So he gets more leverage at the end of the session. So this is going to be a slow burn as we go through this, Jeremy, and, and we figure out exactly what shape this is going to have. We still don't have the list of 20 or the list of 30 from Phelan. Or from Patrick, they both have promised at least 20 or 30 bills that are going to be their priorities. We won't know committees for another month is, is, is what, what I'm guessing. Um, and we won't know what Governor Abbott is going to spend his political capital on. Uh, for at least another couple weeks.
1: Yeah, I love talking to new reporters who come from other states and have covered other legislatures, and they get here, and I say, "Well, you know, this is a little bit different than any place you've ever been." I'll tell you that right now because I've been to a lot of those other states and kind of how the the flow works, and this is like no other state. You know, it's like, and I'm not saying as a proud Texan, I'm just saying, at like, we start off with all the balloons and flowers and everybody yeah. hugging each other, mm-hmm. and then we go to DEFCON Five. And we're (laughs) going to sit at DEFCON 5 until March 11th. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Literally, March 11th is the first time they can take up anything that isn't a priority. So we're talking – it's St. Patrick's Day. We're on the cusp of St. Patrick's Day before anything – worth a dang (laughs) is really gonna happen you know it's like there'll be other stuff happening like i don't want to completely write off there's a lot of you know monkeying around obviously you know we're gonna Mm -hmm. get their priority their priorities for both you know chambers and all that stuff but the Mm -hmm. real actual activity doesn't really start up until march you know it's like we're like often we're gonna start having committee meetings but it's crazy it's like yeah it starts up in march and by the end of april we're in defcon one already because bills are dying priorities are already going to be dying so we have this incredibly slow start and then it comes on you know, like you know a tornado in the middle of the night and it just mm-hmm. rips everything up bills die and then you know and then it gets worse as we get down deep into may right so it's, like, it's it just gets... a different kind of flow than you're used to mm-hmm. seeing in most legislative processes where you know nothing happens for two months uh it, it, and like you said the bills we don't even have the priority bills filed. There's like both chambers, like the you know the first thirty bills in the Senate. There are no you know bills one through thirty right now. It's like there's just not they don't exist uh, because those are gonna be the priorities once they decide what the priorities are. But we don't know what the priorities are, <laughs> which is crazy, right? You know the session has started and no Texan knows what's the number one priority of either the House or the Senate right now.
0: For those who are new to Texas politics, welcome. I offer these two key pieces of advice. Pace yourself and always look at the whole board. I know that can be hard sometimes, but you'll do great. All right. Now, here's part of the mix. It, it's the border. The border, the border, the border, the border, the border, the border, the border. The border, the governor's on the border. He was there uh, on – I should get um, – some musician to do a little theme song for the for the border stuff. Well, uh, we could use the I'll Willie Nelson. We're in,
1: Willie Nelson has a song called "The Borderline." We should just get that. You know, I'm well, sure we can get that. the rights. You know, what well, we can do yep. the first twenty seconds of the song before we have to pay for it, right? right so that, that's yeah.
0: correct. It doesn't right that. Yeah, don't don't give away the whole way that all that works, Jeremy. Um, so <laughs> so you have the border uh, as a key issue, um, but what does the state have to do with the border? This is this has been the same thing forever. I'm trying to remember. Uh, What year it was, it would have to be after 08. So it would be 09 or 10 when Rick Perry confronted President Obama on the border where in El Paso, Governor Abbott this last week was on the border in El Paso to confront Joe Biden, the Democratic president, and tell him what we need in this state what do, what does the federal government need to do uh right on the tarmac near air force one you had governor abbott speaking to reporters and he said that he did have a conversation with president biden and here's how that went
4: he needs to step up and, and take swift action uh, including uh, reimbursing the state of texas for the money that we spent but providing more resources for the federal government to do its job also this is nothing but for show unless it begins to enforce the immigration laws already that exist in the United States of America that are contained in the letter that are provided to the president today. What did he say to you? What did the president say to you?
1: You said he wanted to work with us on it.
0: That's Governor Abbott saying this is all for show. There he is on the border handing what amounts to uh, to a press release uh, about border security, uh, to the president of the United States, Jeremy, you watched this unfold. What, what was the whole story here?
1: Well, okay. So this is, even though the backdrop was Texas, it was El Paso and, you know, kudos to the white house for knowing where El Paso is congratulations, but it wasn't for us. You know, that's the difficult part. This this visit was for a bunch of voters in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. You know, independents who think border security is a big issue but have no idea what the Texas border looks like. They don't know El Paso isn't Brownsville. And they probably don't even know Brownsville exists. (laughs) Okay, so this was a show for a bunch of independent voters. And so the the governor's, you know, probably on mark and saying, you know, Mm -hmm. like, look, he's late. This is a a political show. Yes, it is a political show to tell the people in Michigan and Wisconsin. He's taking this issue to try to take it off the table when, you know, Donald Trump or some other Republican saying you haven't even been to the border. And Joe Biden will be able to put his aviators on and say, oh, of course, I was there. (laughs) I I looked at (laughs) I looked at the wall. Wall. it's like it was like oh because even a photo of him kind of looking out there you know you know you know wow look at all those people on the other side <laughs> it's like okay so he looks serious about right but it's only right. for that show right. uh because look this is just a terrible issue for democrats they know it and it's like and you saw it happen there you come to the border you invite the governor to come to the tarmac it's not like you know uh you know, Abbott just showed up there. He got an invite mm-hmm. from the White House who said, come on out, we'll say hello, and Abbott decided to use it to stick a piece of paper in his hand, which I'm sure <laughs> Joe Biden just handed to his staff and say, like, thanks a lot, mm-hmm. sir. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, it's just a part of this, like, you know, difficulty for Democrats to talk about this issue. They know it's a weakness. The Republicans know it's weakness. Democrats are the reason it's a weakness for them is because they're so diverse in what they want to talk about, right? Biden, you know, even you know, leading up to this, you know, visit, put in new restrictions on people coming from Cuba, Nicaragua, uh, Venezuela, uh, you know, people coming from those nations to to the US. And it sounded like he was trying to throw a bone to maybe kind of the Fox News crowd, but but what did that do? Yeah, sure, it made Henry Cuellar, the Laredo Republican Democrat, who you know wanted him to do that. He like he's finally, I'm glad the you know the president's doing this, but at the same time, it irritated the daylights out of people like you know Joaquin Castro, the congressman from San Antonio, and other you know senators who were sitting there going, wait a minute, it's like we're making it harder for people coming from Cuba. In Venezuela, fleeing dictatorial governments to find freedom, we're going to make it harder for them to get here. And like we're going to make them use up an app somewhere. It's like, come on, where's our humanity to can help other people out, right? And so, like, you see that you know whatever Biden says, he's either burning people on the left or more in the middle. Right. And so, and, and it was Sawyer Hackett. I talked, you know, he's a democratic consultant who worked Mm on Julian Castro's campaign. I talked to him for a story I did this weekend, uh, in, uh, this last weekend. And he said, you know, the, what Democrats need to remember is we can't deport our way into the good graces of the Fox news audience. And I thought that was kind of a good way to kind of put that no matter what Joe Biden does or Barack Obama does, You know, on the border, they're always going to be out of step with the Fox News, you know, host world who's going to say they're soft on immigration. They're for Mm -hmm. open borders, even, you know, like the one thing that nobody ever talks about, you know, Biden's turned away more people from the border using Title 42 than Trump did. Nobody talks about that. It's like because like even Biden doesn't really want to say that because he knows it ticks off half of his Democratic base. You know, it's like it's not like he can kind of roll it out there and like, you know, trumpet it. It's the same thing with Obama. Obama deported so many people. You didn't see him saying, hey, look, I'm deporting everybody. It's like because he knew it just makes people upset when you're deporting like a 14-year-old kid who like has never lived in Mexico before but you're sending him back to Mexico because something his parents did. It's like, what?
0: (laughs) It's remarkable to me that – and to your point about Obama, uh, it was Democrats who would call him the deporter-in-chief, right? He was getting that from his own – from his own party. It's remarkable to me that Republicans who would describe themselves as conservative, they see laws and regulations that have proven to be unenforceable and unworkable and completely don't comport with reality. They've seen it, and their answer is just enforce the law. When on anything else, if that was the case, they would say we should repeal that law. We should change that law. There's too much regulation around this. You know, we we need to – there are people – think of it this way. How many times have you heard Republicans say that hardworking people just need the government to get out of the way so they can be successful? Yep. Who yep. is more hardworking than all the people who are on job sites all over the state, working in uh, working in construction, working in uh, hospitals, working in hospitality, working in agriculture? Hardworking folks who just need the government to get out of the way. And by the way, a lot of them would just be Republicans if they ever, you know, could get citizenship and. And could vote, but there's no, as we talked about last week, there there's no even proposal to make those folks citizens or give them a path to citizenship. And to your point about how extreme the rhetoric gets, if if there's a proposal, and I saw this play out uh, years ago, 2014 uh, Republican Party of Texas convention, there was a there was a big debate about whether the party should just support a guest worker program. That doesn't offer any chance at citizenship, just a guest worker program. So people could come in and out uh, legally to to perform some of the functions and some of the jobs I was talking about. And what would the opponents of it say? They would say it was quote amnesty yes. for illegals close quote.
1: Yeah, the home builders and the you know are, are begging for more workers to come. Over just on work permits. We're not, we don't want to make them citizens or anything. We just really want them to come over to work for us. And you're stopping us from doing it. They can't even have that conversation in an open forum at this point. But like, you know, but those are Republican, you know, industries, really, right? Those people will vote Republican, you know, that, you know, big business, you know, home builders associations, realtors. It's like it should all, you know, be okay to be able to say, you know, we don't have enough workers to put roofs on houses. And that's really kind of making things hard Uh, and we have a bunch of people who want to do it and you're stopping us
5: like
1: there's just a massive disconnect you can't even have that conversation anymore in republican politics it wasn't too long ago you could still have it you know i Mm -hmm. remember like having you know time with jeb bush you know you know talking about how to rework the the work visa programs to make sure we were more efficient in being allowed people to come back and forth you know to to do work and like but now nobody's going to bring that up. Nobody right. in the Republican Party is going to say, "You know what? I want to make sure we get more people across the border to help us with our mm-hmm. employment needs." Nobody would, and by the way, say that.
0: Yeah. In in 2014, the Republican Party of and, and to your point, it, it's not even that long ago yeah. that the discussion could at least be had. In 2014, the Republican Party of Texas did adopt. The position I talked about, and at the 2014 convention, the, the delegates to the RPT, and you could not imagine them doing this today. No, um, and this is within <laughs> the decade. But this is within the decade. In 2014, they agreed that there should be a guest worker program for undocumented people, and of course, in their subsequent uh, conventions, they abandoned that uh, position. I think by the time you get to 2016. In 2018, when you've got Donald Trump in the mix, whipping people up even more about uh, illegal immigration all of the time, uh, that's what you end up with. Like you said, you can't even talk about it anymore. And, you know, I think to your point about Biden not being able to, you know, really talk to the Fox News crowd, you know, who is able to talk to the Fox News crowd, that would be our lieutenant governor, the little governor, who I said he was kind of subdued when he was talking about state business. Yeah. But let's see. Let's turn on. I've got my remote. Ready? My, let's turn on. Uh, let's turn on TV and watch. So Lieutenant Governor Patrick on Fox News with Bill Hammer. And he said that Biden's trip is only going to cause more problems. More mo Biden, more problems.
4: I don't know if he'll be back over the next two years for the rest of his term, the remainder of his term or whether or not this is a one and done operation here. Um, simple question.
5: What's going to change because of it?
4: Nothing. In fact, it may only get worse, Bill, uh, because he actually is talking about bringing more people in. You know, I I thought it was interesting in in your clip uh, that Mayorkas talked about the cartels charging $6,000 a person between the entry points. I thought Mayorkas said the border was secure. Apparently, he knows the cartels are pushing people across at 6,000 or more per head. So I guess Mayorkas really doesn't know what he's talking about, or he's been lying to us all this time. And when Trump came to the border, and I spent a couple of visits with him down the border, the trip was different, Bill and Dana. I mean, he came, uh, spent a lot of time. I remember in McAllen going right up to the river's edge with the president. Uh, I remember having a roundtable meeting that went for an hour, an hour and a half with, with people who lived on the border with law enforcement, with local officials. The president really wanted to learn. Donald Trump really wanted to learn what was going on and fix it. This president really doesn't want to know what's going on. He didn't see any illegal immigrants. They cleaned up and sanitized El Paso before he got there. This was just another tour stop at El Paso like Kamala Harris took. You'll remember that's where she went, away from The action, not that a lot of people haven't been crossing there, but, you know, they kind of cleaned up everything for him, sanitized it for his visit. So good
0: at that. Uh, The the, the, the lieutenant governor can really whip people up about what's going on with undocumented uh, immigrants. I've watched him do it for decades at this point, Jeremy, and that's the kind of rhetoric that works with the Fox News crowd. And uh, to your point about uh, what Sawyer Hackett had to say, there's nothing that Biden or Obama – or go back to George W. Bush. There's nothing any of them would have done, could have done to appease that crowd.
1: Yeah, exactly. He, he, Joe Biden could have been there, you know, for seven straight days looking at every part of the border and, you know, you know, hanging out with, you know, Border Patrol all week long. Right. And it just wouldn't have mattered. You still would have heard the same things. Because, you know, notice what Patrick leaves out when he's saying It's like, he's not saying, you know, it's like, look at all these legal asylum seekers coming across. It's like, because that's what the majority we're dealing with. These are people who are making legal claims to have asylum. It's like, they're not illegal immigrants. They're like, they're literally people who Probably have a particularly if you're coming from Cuba or Venezuela or Nicaragua, you probably have a case that's going to be in pretty good shape. Right. You know, it's like and so they are they're making a good legal representation. But none of that matters on Fox News when you're mm-hmm. talking to, you know, a host in Connecticut, you know, who just wants to pound away at the people coming across the border like there's some sort of scary invasion. Certainly they can't be legal you know, regular human beings who are just trying to escape a dictator for a better life. No, <laughs> that doesn't sound good on Fox News.
0: <laughs> nope, it's not going to work. So it's um, it, it, it's it's always talking about the symptoms and never what uh, what is actually causing the issues. You know, the, the the things that I talked about with the jobs people are doing here, those are what we call pull factors for immigration. People yep. people are moving to another place to have a better life. Why does anybody move? from one place to another, uh, by if they have the choice, um, it's because they think that life will be better where they're going than where they are, right? Yeah. And and the where they are part is what the, what the immigration, uh, you know, uh, experts will call, uh, and they, they will say these are push factors, right? If people are in countries that are war-torn, conflict uh, zones that uh, you have, you know, where you have, uh, you know, extreme poverty, corruption, cartels are running the place, those are your push factors people People aren't coming here for no reason, and they're not coming here to vote for Democrats, yeah which is which is what you hear on what you hear on uh, Fox News Channel. I once had a uh, I once had a, a consultant, a democratic consultant say uh, that uh, all the stuff about you know, all these uh, quote unquote illegals are going to vote for Democrats. And this person who happened to be Hispanic said, Scott, we can't even get legal Hispanics to show up and vote. then they would they were talk about, the, you know, the poor yeah. showings uh, that we would often see uh, in the valley, for example. Uh, did you see this controversy over cigars at the Capitol in Washington?
1: Not really. Tell me about it, Scott. <laughs> oh,
0: man. I am so disappointed on so many levels about this. Um, the, the, the members of the – and this used to be the case at the Texas Capitol. In fact, I think technically it may still be the case that lawmakers within their own offices, the, inside the physical office – they can have whatever policy they want about smoking, right, which may shock some people. But when someone's elected, one of the immediate sort of tangible powers they have is what goes on in their office, yeah. right? Who The staff they hire, what their policies are for any number of things, for sexual harassment, for smoking, for whatever, you name it. It's their office. They run it. And, and some of them are real proud of that and others don't care as much. But um, it has always been the case in Washington that – if a lawmaker wants to smoke in their office, they can. Now, now they may not be able to smoke in the public spaces. That's uh, that's dependent upon leadership. Uh, when John Boehner was the Speaker of the U.S. House, he's a chain smoker of cigarettes, and there was a certain area that uh, he would hang out, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes. And reporters liked that because they would go find him during his smoke breaks, and they could talk to him about whatever you know whatever was going on in the House that day. Uh, when Nancy Pelosi took the gavel. Um, uh, from Boehner, after the Democrats uh, won the majority, she immediately she was against that. She immediately banned smoking in all the public places in the in the Capitol, uh, you know, on, on the House side there. Um, and when Boehner was asked about it by a reporter, he just flatly said, "It's fine." You could you could tell the, the former speaker did not did not like that. Uh, there were several stories this week about how Republicans, now that they're back in the majority, are basically. Um, pushing the envelope when it comes to smoking cigars in there, and, and it's not all the Republicans, but those who do smoke are smoking a lot of cigars. Uh, the term is hot boxing. <laughs> they're, they're, they're smoking a lot of cigars and the smoke is making its way out into the hallways. And there were some reporters who were complaining about the way that the uh, cigar smoke smells. Um, and Troy Nels from Fort Bend County, represents Fort Bend County, that area anyway, in uh, in the U.S. House, he's one of those who smoke cigars. He described himself as a member of the Cigar Caucus. He said there's about 30 of them. And Tucker Carlson on Fox could not help himself. He had to have Troy Nels on the air to talk about these woke liberals who were so upset that these people in the media are so angry about our cigars and they don't care about things that matter to real people. That, that's the argument that he's making, Jeremy. Okay. So are you, are you ready for this? Yes. Nels was asked by Carlson, the indefatigable Tucker Carlson. Look that one up. He was he was asking him why he smokes cigars in his office, and Nels says he doesn't say it's because I love cigars. He doesn't say that I appreciate the craft. He doesn't say that every every cigar tells a story. Things that actual <laughs> things that actual cigar smokers would say. As a nearly thirty year smoker of cigars, I'm highly offended by the way that. Nels talks about this. Ready? He says it's about read them.
5: It's interesting that dishonest media and those, they want to complain about a uh, little smoke coming out of my cigar. They don't want to talk about the inflation or the crime or the southern border.
0: This sounds like a good faith answer, doesn't it? He's talking about he wasn't asked about the border or any of that yeah. other stuff. <laughs> like,
5: how the border get into this? Right,
0: right, right. Okay, okay. Keep it, keep it between the navigational beacons. You were asked about cigars.
5: And people have been enjoying cigars. Nations leaders, world leaders, from Winston Churchill to United States presidents, from Andrew Jackson to Theodore Roosevelt, Nixon, JFK. They like smoking their cigars. We even know that uh, Bill Clinton, he enjoyed a good cigar every once in a while. So I don't know what all the hoopla is all about. Uh, You're right. In 2007, uh, under Pelosi, she said you cannot smoke cigars in the Capitol building, i.e., you can't smoke cigars on the House floor or in committee hearings. But it did not include members' offices. So a member's House office, we've always been able to smoke cigars. There are many of us in the Cigar Caucus, about 30 of us, that enjoy a good cigar in in our office, and we do so. Nancy Pelosi, for two years, I've been smoking cigars. Nobody complains about it. But now they want to come after us because we're in the majority. This is typical from the left. They want to infringe on our rights. They want to complain about our smoke. They're probably complaining about maybe my aftershave or the color of my tie. It doesn't it doesn't end.
0: To be clear, that is a man who can afford to smoke cigars regularly, complaining about being oppressed. Okay. so then Tucker got to the real heart of it. He asked Nails, what is it? about tobacco. And by the way, I, I love Tucker Carlson's questions on this. He says, you know, if you were smoking meth or weed, nobody would even say anything or care. Oh God, I, I think that they might. But he he asked Nails, what is it about tobacco that triggers the liberals?
5: I don't know. Maybe they've never tried one, but you look at a nice Ashton cigar. It's a beautiful cigar. It's mild mate. Arturo Fuento. It's a great cigar. Try one. No. Oh, I have. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you striking a blow for freedom.
0: Well, it certainly did blow. Um, you had nails there trying to light a cigar on Fox News Channel. <sighs> Jeremy, he didn't. Uh, this is where I might break down a little bit. He didn't even cut the cigar, which you have to do. He he obviously did not know how to light the cigar, which is upsetting to me on so many levels. I can give a lecture on how to light a cigar properly. Um, he's he called. And Ashton, I think he said that the Ashton was made by Arturo Fuento, which is not a real company. It, it's Arturo Fuente, is the is the is the it's it's a it's a brand name that people know even if they don't smoke cigars. Correct. Ashton is also one that people know, uh, you know, even if they don't smoke cigars, although not as much as Arturo Fuente. These are the what I would say about it is if you show up on Fox News Channel and you're pretending that you're some, you know, cigar lover and that this is all about your freedom to smoke cigars, you should at least pretend to know what you're talking about. If someone was smoking an Ashton, or someone was smoking an Arturo Fuente, or they were smoking uh, a Monte Cristo, Or a Cohiba; these are all of the names that are larger than the cigar industry. Everyone knows the names I just said; most, the vast majority of people do. Um, He's not holding up a stick that would surprise anybody, or that any real cigar smoker would say, "Oh wow, that's something I ought to try." Um, The ones that, and again, there's nothing wrong with those cigars. This is the this is the comparison I would make. Those are all sort of like the Starbucks of cigars, right? Like any Ashton you get is going to be the exact same. Same thing with. with any of those are the names that I, that I mentioned. Um, I would say that they're entry level cigars in that the, these are the kind of cigars that a person smokes if they have a decent amount of money and they want to get into smoking cigars, but they don't know anything. Uh, and so they can easily be sold an overpriced cigar. Now an Ashton is, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. But here what, and I don't think that Troy Nails actually even likes cigars. And here's why I'm saying that because when he was asked by a reporter at the Capitol, because he walks around with his Ashtons and he's smoking them, he was – you may have seen this quote uh, earlier uh, in the in the news cycle. I think this was about a week ago. Um, he was asked what he likes about the Ashton and he said that it was uh, mild to medium and that it, quote, doesn't make you shit your pants, close quote. Now, I don't even know where to start with that. I don't know what that means. As I said, I've smoked cigars for about 26 years now. I understand that there are health risks associated with smoking cigars. That's not one of them. You, 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 you could, you know, you could develop and I'll get emails and, and tweets from people about this. Uh, the, people will say, Scott, you know, you're killing yourself by smoking cigars. You know, you could get cancer. You know that all these different things could happen. I Thank you. I never heard that before. I appreciate that. Um, I understand that there are health risks associated with it, but- this man doesn't even like cigars. What this speaks to, Jeremy, is this performative politics where everything has to be an outrage. Everything has to be triggering the other side. Everything has to be fighting about nothing. And the reason that I'm so unhappy about this is that cigars are supposed to bring people together. right? Cigars – I have a very good friend in um, in Houston who is one of my, I would say, cigar buddies – you know, I wouldn't even know the guy if it wasn't for cigars. We met at a Republican convention years ago, and uh, he noticed that I had a cigar case. For, for cigar smokers, that's kind of like when the Christians would, uh, with their foot, draw half of the fish on the on the sand on the ground. The other cigar smoker goes, oh, you're one of – you are – we are the same. Right. And so friendships are forged over this stuff. People who don't agree on anything can sit for an hour with a cigar and find things they agree about. And this is what pisses me off about it, is that they're, they're using something that is supposed to bring people together to once again do the same old thing of have everybody run to their corners And say, oh, wow, I hate you. I only know you from your Twitter avatar and I hate you as a person. This is the reason that Washington operates the way that it does is because you could be a Democratic uh, representative and never even speak to Troy Nels, who's a Republican representative, because of this kind of stuff. Because everything's about this, this, the getting people angry over nothing. The people you talked about, the Fox News viewer, the the Fox News viewer is typically is someone who wakes up ready to be angry they turn on Fox and they tell them what to be angry about and then they're angry all the rest of the day and i don't want to live my life that way i don't understand people who do live their lives that way there was a time that i did you know what it's when i was a teenager or in my early 20s and at some point i grew up it this 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 this, this is not healthy for the country i would go as far as to say it's way more unhealthy than smoking a cigar <laughs> well uh, but
1: when when Nails was making his big pitch there. I was waiting for him to say, and what about spittoons? Why aren't there spittoons all over the Capitol like they used to be? You know, George Washington had a spittoon. Right. You know, you know, Abraham Lincoln had spittoons in the White House. And if we got rid of it, we're not spitting tobacco all over the floor anymore. What, right. what happened? It's the liberals who shut down our sp- spittoon, you know, tobacco spitting times, you know? Yeah, it's right. like he was they, making they, this passionate defense. Like this is like, like how many cigar smokers are sitting, there, you know, like, Screaming, at me, yeah, freedom. It's like, no, it's like – it's not even an issue. No, no American cares whether or not you're smoking a cigar in your room or not. It's like I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: it, it's, it's extra bizarre. Um, oh, I, I, I did make this offer on social media. I told uh, Congressman Nails when he's ready to have a lesson on how to properly smoke, I will be there in Fort Bend County to help him out. All right, is that enough show?
1: It feels like we filled up the tank.
0: I'm done. It, yes, that's that's good enough. If this is your favorite show, you know it is. How are you not subscribed already? What you need to do is subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you like. Uh, there's one called Pocket Cast that I didn't know about until one of our listeners said that it, that the show had disappeared from Pocket Cast, and I guess it came back at some point. I don't know what I don't know what was up with that. Um, what you should do is tell three friends to tell three friends to tell three friends to listen to the show. That's the Ponzi scheme that keeps us number one. Uh, rate the show, right? Give us uh, give us the best rating you can and leave a review. We like seeing that. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you next time.